Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of That Time When, the comedy history podcast which is all about strange things, unusual occurrences and other phenomena happening throughout history. I am your host for this week, Barnaby King, and joining me as ever is the lovely... Amelia Edwards. Hello. Hello. And how are you doing this week? Honestly, I am a little bit unwell. <coughs> but oh, no. we will continue on. We'll soldier on to get this history to you. Have you got the Roma? No. You sure? Yes. Okay. I am going to put you in a hazmat suit, just in case. All right, but I'd really rather not. Why? I think it'll cause some problems with the recording. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is... The second attempt at this episode, <laughs> because the first attempt made us sound like we were in a cathedral. Um, and we don't know why. No, I don't know why. You know what? For some reason, recently in my head, I've had the film Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Okay, and I go on. I don't know why, but you know the film, don't you? The one with Angela Lansbury as a witch. The one where she decides to... Take a correspondence course in witchcraft. Yeah. Yep, one Yeah. Call. So for, for those who don't know, Bedknobs and Broomsticks is about, as Amelia says, Angela Lansbury is a witch who became a witch by a correspondence course of magic. She takes in three evacuees during World War II. And if I remember right, she doesn't really want them at first. No, she doesn't. No. And in the book, she doesn't even take them in. They live across the road from her. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. I've never read the book. In fact, I, I only I think I only just found out it's based on a book. Oh, there you go. <laughs> we learn something new every day. Yeah. So anyway, she takes in these three children. They don't really get along with her for at first, but they discover, you know, that she's magic. Which is what every single kid wants to find out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's also, like... if you're an evacuee, best time to find out that there's magic going on, right? Yeah. So many evacuees encountered magic, and we know this because of all the historical sources that tell us so. Yeah. Like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Exactly, exactly. But did you know that Bedknobs and Broomsticks is based on fact? <gasps> well, no, okay. I, I'm exaggerating a bit there. I mean, especially because I'm pretty sure we don't have a living animated... King John Lion from Robin Hood running about <laughs> playing football. Yes, definitely football. I remember there was a bit where it gets deinflated by falling on a rhino's horn. Oh, yes. That was always such a weird bit in my head. It's a really weird film. And also I've realised that if people haven't watched the film, they've got no clue what we're talking about. <laughs> There's a bit in the middle where they go travelling on the bed because that's their yeah. mode of transportation, hence bed knobs and broomsticks. Yep. Because it's a magical bed knob. Um, Which isn't as filthy as it sounds. I know. I, I, I just realised that bedknobs aren't really a thing anymore, so... No, I used to be obsessed. Like, my grandma... Like, my at my granny's house, they have bedknobs on the end of the bed, and I used to be obsessed. I used to be like, I need to get this bed to move. Yeah, did you try and... They, they, like, they rub it in the film, don't they? And yeah, you've got to sort of unscrew it. Yes. Yeah. They didn't it. unscrew. Yeah. It was very obsessing. Well, anyway, so... Okay, I exaggerate when I say it's based on fact, but... You mean beds can't fly? Beds can fly, but you need a propulsion system or a trebuchet. Oh, all right then. Still, we can go try. Uh, no, uh, anyway. You know that in the film, towards the end, uh, she uses her magic to fight off a bunch of Nazis by animating a bunch of suits of armour, right? Yes, Literally, one of the main images that stays with you from this film is, like, weird flying knight costumes. Yeah, but 
we do actually have accounts of witches helping in the war effort in the Second World War, one way or another, on the side of the British. Right. Yeah. It was an operation that was known, mockingly or otherwise, as Operation Cone of Power. Okay. <laughs> why is this a cone? And why does it sound like a D&D move? <laughs> I mean, it is, basically. It's, it's like... It's like... Yeah, burning hands or something. Yeah, so obviously this this magic spell, it takes place in a cone shape of mm-hmm. um, 25 by 25 feet. Yeah, yeah. All enemies caught within it must make a... Dexterity saving throw. Yeah, or else take X amount of damage. But no, so this was called Operation Kind of Power. It might have been mocking, so it may have been like called that because, you know, it's such a silly thing to get witches to cast spells on behalf of the British government. But this particular event took place in the summer of 1940. There are a group of 17 witches and spiritualists who gathered on Lammas Eve, which is the 1st of August. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a day that many neo-pagans and the like associate with sort of high occult significance and all the powers are amplified and everything like that. I don't know why, but there we are. Um, (laughs) We do our research. (laughs) Yes. Well, one of the practitioners present, and from whom this sort of the the account of this arises, was a man called Gerald Gardner. Okay. And he is often credited with founding the modern neo-pagan movement as well as Wicca. Right. Okay. As in magic, witchcraft, not as in cane furniture. As in, like, the sort of religion. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for those who don't know, Wicca is a form of modern witchcraft, and it's kind of treated as a religion. It can mean a lot of different things for different people, depending on, like, how much you want to get into it. For some, it means just, you know, occasionally making your house smell of sage to ward off bad luck. And to others, it can mean gathering skyclad, a.k.a. in the nude, uh, in, a, in a circle with your friends... Probably your most attractive friends, you'd hope. One would hope. Yeah, to summon up eldritch power to fight the Nazis. You know, religion means different things for different people. I mean, I can Okay, so we've recently been rewatching a lot of Buffy. Yes, Buffy <laughs> and, the Vampire Slayer. And I could imagine if you're in California, then the idea of gathering Skyclad must be quite nice. Oh yeah, not in Britain. Not in Britain. Uh, I mean, I mean, I guess in these days of global warming, like the heat wave that we had recently. Yeah, but it's not reliable. Like. No, no. But I don't know. You can probably get these things done on a whim. I guess so, maybe. But then again, if you're trying to organise seventeen people, Jesus. I mean, it depends on who they are. Like, I, I would say our friends, you know, are somewhat unreliable. But I mean, I, I've, I, I know some of my sister's friends, and my God. that's what I mean you can't rely on getting 17 people to gather skyclad and do magic power things no all I can say is these people must have been very organised and also very warm blooded Hmm. maybe they just turned up at a nudist camp maybe they did it that way around it's like you you get naked first and then introduce people hey do you want to do some magic and try and make it not sound like you're trying to sell them drugs. It's like that film where they decide that it would be easier to train... um... (laughs) Oh, Armageddon. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Easier to train, what is it, like drillers, oil drillers? Oil rig workers. Yeah, to become astronauts. Rather than the other way around. Oh my god, that's a dreadful film. 
Okay, back to the story. Okay. Before we continue, it is important to point out that Gerald Gardner is something of a controversial figure. No, really? Yeah, I know, right? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I get so annoyed with these people in witchcraft. Like... Mm. So, when I was younger, I was really interested in learning, um, like, how witchcraft worked and all of that kind of thing, and I really like the Wiccans. They seem like, on the whole, really nice people, mm. but my god, do people make up a bunch of nonsense history and then claim that it's true without any justification. Well, well I mean, okay, at this point, you might as well be doing this episode, because <laughs> that is exactly what Gerald Gardner did, hey. among others. So, firstly... Uh, he was known to have lied about his academic qualifications. He said that he had a doctorate in philosophy from the University of Singapore and a doctorate in literature from the University of Toulouse. Okay. Now, that sounds awesome. I mean, it does sound awesome, but we got a couple of problems straight away. Okay. Firstly, the University of Singapore didn't exist at the time he said he had attended. And as far as the University of Toulouse goes, there is absolutely no record of him being there. Okay, but he was a magician. There is that possibility that he magics away traces of him, or possibly moved through time, like Merlin in Sword and the Stone. Absolutely. He did go to the University of Singapore in the future. Yeah. And he went to the University of Toulouse, but did the whole thing invisible, so he didn't have to pay course costs. Yeah, okay. I mean... That sounds perfectly reasonable to me. Yeah, I don't see any issues with my logic yeah. right now. Yeah, now we just need to wait for... Oh god, what do they call Arthur in Sword in the Stone? Wart, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We just need to wait for stories of Gerald Gardner teaching a young boy to become a Soviet ant. Yeah. Uh, god, I, I hope people who are listening to this are <laughs> I don't think anyone knows what we're talking about. No. I think we're doing a lot of too niche We references. are, really, aren't we? Yeah, so that was uh, Sword in the Stone. as T.H. White in the Once and Future King series. Uh, it is good. I do recommend you read it. Um, there is a bit where he is transformed into an ant and goes and sees what ant society is like. And it's all Sovietism. Also, in the version I read, that bit happens twice. Awesome. Yeah, because, like... In the original version, that bit came at the end, and then in, re in reprints, it was moved back towards the beginning in the actual Sword in the Stone book. Right. But my version had was like the complete edition. So, so it's done it twice. All of it, which meant it was really confusing when right <laughs> at the end, where it's like getting towards the last battle, and Arthur goes to see Merlin one more time, and Merlin's like, I've got one more lesson to you, and then turns him into an ant and does right. the whole thing again. I was just like, am I losing my mind? I've read this. Why, yeah. why, why is he a boy again? No, okay. Okay, that makes a lot of sense, because I've read The Sword and the Stone mm. without having read The Once of Future King, and mm. I'd never heard about Soviet ants. I don't think it was in my version of The Sword and oh, the Stone. Oh, was it not? No. Oh, you must have had an old version then. Probably. Yeah, no. Anyway, this was, again, God, we're really getting sidetracked today, aren't we? Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I right. think it's the mild fever. <laughs> yeah, it could be the mild fever, and the fact that I am easily influenced. Um, right. So, already we've got Gerald Gardner lied about his academic qualifications, but he also made strict laws about what Wiccans could say to non-Wiccans to cover up his lies, basically. Right. He was accused of making up a lot of his history up, uh, like, making, making his fellow Wiccans lie about being part of an ancient lineage of witchcraft and everything like that. Great. Yeah, so all the stuff we really expect these days of, you know, the big occultist founders of mm -hmm. various different things. 
Despite this, though, even though he was controversial, even, like, at the time, he did go on to be known as the father of modern witchcraft. And I think in some circles it's kind of treated like a sort of trickster spirit, like a sort of Br'er Rabbit or Puckish figure. All right. So, like, on the whole, he's a good egg, but he was, like, fucking about with people. I mean, possibly. There's possibly some dodginess, but it's hard to... It's hard I mean... To, I mean, when you're gathering 17 of your most attractive friends, Skyclad, <laughs> uh, hmm... I don't know. To be fair, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff. Part of the problem is that even now, people are still trying to unpick all the truth and lies from his own writings and what people said about him. So what we're going to do is we're just going to go ahead and we're going to. I'm going to tell you his experience or what he described that he and his fellow witches did to fight the Nazis, and then we'll talk about it. Like what might be wrong about it a bit later on. Okay. But Gardner claimed that on this Lammas Eve in 1940, he and these 16 other gorgeous Naked people. friends, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, <laughs> who were all practitioners of magic as well, met in the New Forest. Uh, it was a few miles north of Highcliffe on the south coast of England uh, to raise a cone of power. <laughs> so they were a mix of... Gardner's followers and locals who were part of the Rosicrucian Cretona Fellowship. Now, we had... (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to do it again! We're not going to do it again. When we first recorded this, I made a bit of a silly, and I thought Amelia knew all about the Rosicrucians. I don't know anything about the Rosicrucians. It's got to be one of those false memory things, because I was absolutely adamant that she knew all about the Rosicrucians and had, in fact, told me about the Rosicrucians first. So I was very insistent that she explain (laughs) who the Rosicrucians were, and she just couldn't, and I hadn't actually made any proper notes on them. Uh, So the Rosicrucians were a group of... of spiritualists and people interested in the occult, but also people who kind of wanted to merge it with uh, emerging forms of science Mm -hmm. in the early 17th century. And they were based on what was meant to be like these manifestos and texts that had announced the existence of previously unknown order called the Order of the Rosy Cross, hence Rosicrucian. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and they they kind of believed that magic mixed with sort of science could change the world and make this sort of glorious golden age and everything like that. But it was probably a bit of an excuse for, you know, messing around and just having a bit of fun with magic. It does sound just a sort of bit like Masonic. It, like, yeah. it's an excuse for guys to get together and have a meal and pretend to have like super deep knowledge yeah that said they are still going and please don't come after us (laughs) (laughs) i think we've already chatted shit about the illuminati on this podcast (laughs) so we can get the rosicrucians after us too but not just them because they actually they um spawned off from many different movements came from them as well and they all travel in this goddamn fantastic really carriage thing yeah their art and their depictions of like yeah you've got the temple of the rose cross there it's mad. It's like some steampunk shit, but it's from 1618, I see. Yep, please look it up on Wikipedia. Oh my god, it's amazing. It's like a little temple with wings on wheels. Yeah. 
So what we've got is like these people who were um, practitioners of magic, part of the secret society, and also had links to, you mentioned them already, the Masons. But this hey. was, these were the Co-Masons, which was a branch of Freemasonry that actually allowed women to join. Oh, yay! I know, right? Finally! Yeah. So these 17, including Gardner, they got together, they danced in the nip. Nice. Uh, in spiralling patterns and raised this cone of power. It's a bunch of magical energy and directed it towards Hitler. Great. And the point of it was to basically do a Leonardo DiCaprio Inception thing and magically plant the idea in his head that it was physically impossible for him and his armies to cross the English Channel to invade Britain. Okay. And, and it works. Well, I mean, technically. I mean, we, I mean... We got proof exactly. because Hitler never managed to invade <laughs> England. <laughs> so Gardner claimed that this idea was based on the fact that this had happened before. He claimed that Francis Drake had... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Let me finish. Okay. He claimed that Francis Drake mm. had... <laughs> had either employed witches or practiced witchcraft himself uh, okay. or possibly sold his soul to the devil in order to summon the storm that de defeated the Spanish Armada in 1588. So oh my <laughs> god, no, you can't just go, okay, so he claimed that Francis Drake did this. Like, no, no. Um, I am going to talk about Francis Drake probably in a soon-to-be episode. Ooh. I know. You tease. I know, right? <laughs> um, and I say soon-to-be. I'm not sure how many we're behind at the moment. Uh, so we've got this week, next week's recorded, then there's my one after that. So, yeah, in about from, from when you're hearing this, about three weeks' time. Ooh, in three weeks' time, we might go a bit Francis Drakey. Mm. But I'm just going to say, he doesn't really strike me as the type of person to do witchcraft. And it's genuinely bizarre that at a time when there were people practicing witchcraft, you'd pick out Francis Drake. Yeah, well, there seems to be a lot of sort of, like, folklore and legends around him. I guess, like, at the time, he kind of became a bit of a mythic figure. I guess so, but like, why wouldn't you say John D? Mm. Was he still alive then? Oh, he was still know. alive, yeah, 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 because he was uh, Elizabeth's astrologer. That's true, but, you know, he might have died. I'm pretty know. sure he was most of the way through her reign. Okay. You know, I'll quickly look it up. Yeah, John D died 1608 or 1609, not sure. Great. Elizabeth died 1603, so mm -hmm. yeah, he was definitely a contemporary. Okay, so why do you say, alright, so this guy who's like, definitely very fixated on being on a boat, like that's the whole mm -hmm. deal with Francis Drake, is like, boats, mm -hmm. is a magician who summons Satan? No, 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 he sold his soul to Satan, possibly, but his main thing was summoning the storm that you know is like, ah, oh, that's what defeated the Spanish Armada and everything like that. I think we can just discount this as you oh, know. Oh, please. I mean, for one thing, they didn't... Okay. <laughs> Brief witchcraft history here. Okay. English witches were not believed to have any direct contact with the devil in Elizabethan times. Well, this is... Okay, so I'm, I'm moving together a lot of stuff there. Okay. That is folklore that's also emerged since the time. Yeah. And just this idea since then that, you know, ah, oh, Francis Drake sold his soul to the devil. I don't know if Gardner believed that this was the case or if it was just the fact that Francis Drake was a witch himself or he just had some witches in his employ, had them on his payroll. 
This is the this is exactly the sort of thing that I despise. Okay, so I'm going to tell you my least favorite witchcraft theory, which comes from um, religion and the decline of magic. Is this going to be ergotism? No. Okay. I love ergotism. Ergotism is world fun. <laughs> um, and we'll probably talk about that at some yeah, point because yeah. ergotism is everything. Yeah. Um, but okay, so there is one historian mm-hmm. um, who was trying to make a case for this idea which kind of got taken up by men like Gardner right. that um, there was secret witchcraft happening at all points um, in British history yeah, um, and that it was a sort of hidden thing that was passed down through the generations and it was hidden away specifically from the Catholic Church of course which is also doesn't make any sense because the big witchcraft trials didn't happen under the Catholic Church, but never mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so, this person says, At one point, the head of all witchcraft in England was William Rufus, third son of William the Conqueror, and also all the witches were dwarfs. <laughs> <laughs> Including William Rufus. Amazing. Uh, was the idea that dwarfs were just innately magic? I birth? have no idea. And also... William Rufus became the King of England. I think we would have known if he had dwarfism. Like, I don't know where this comes from. It's just weird. (laughs) Oh, there. (laughs) Why does he be like a lot of. I'm a Tolkien dwarf. (laughs) We're all witches, you can. (laughs) Yeah, except do that in French. No. (laughs) No, I can't. Why must you shame me on our podcast? Okay, so. Francis Drake being a witch, everything like that, bollocks. Yeah. I mean, but I don't know if, like, Gardner's other claim that this, like, this sort of magic was used is, is even more nebulous. Because he, um. he claimed that magic was used in 1805 to prevent Napoleon Bonaparte from reaching Britain. I mean, that's definitely true. Yeah. We absolutely. know that that's true. Absolutely. I think, like, the, there's not even legends about that. That is only Gardner <laughs> saying that this happened. Um, okay. And of course, we can trust him. He doesn't lie to us. <laughs> so, if anyone's interested in reading an account of magic um, keeping Napoleon away from the shores of Britain, <laughs> they might want to look into the book by uh, Susanna Clark, uh, which is Jonathan Strange and Mr. Nora, which is a completely accurate account of British history over the last 300 years. It's a really good book. It is a really I good really book. Like it. Well, anyway, whether or not. There was magic involved. As we said, mm-hmm. Hitler didn't manage to cross the channel. No. There was no land invasion of Britain. So Gardner basically went, held his hands up and went, we did it! Yay! And happily published this story in a couple of books in the 1950s. Great. I like the fact that he left it until after Hitler definitely hadn't yeah. invaded England. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And definitely to the point where it's like, it's not immediately afterwards that people could go, well, let's speak to some of these people involved. No. <laughs> like, 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 about ten, five, ten years afterwards, you can mm. go, oh, they've like gone on to different places or gone to fairy or anything like that. <laughs> where are all your accomplices? Oh, you know, they all vanish because magic. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. So, obviously, I know what you're saying. You're saying that we can't take one man's account as gospel and the time being a fool for suggesting that we possibly could. Yes. Well, first I would say stop being mean. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, secondly, I would say that there is an argument to be made for the use of magic 
in one way or another, mm. in World War Two. Okay. Just possibly not Gerald Gardner and his 16 accomplices. In the 1970s, Amado Crowley wrote that Gardner had made up the story, having stolen it from an actual ritual performed by his father, Alistair Crowley. Alistair Crowley! Yes. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, Alistair Crowley was probably one of the most famous occultists in... possibly in history. I think so. A lot of people name characters after him. I know that much. They do, yes. You're thinking of uh, Good Omens. I am thinking of Good Omens. Um, And I think there's a... Oh, God. Supernatural. Don't they have a character? Yeah, I think they've got a character called Crowley. Yeah, who's also a demon. Yeah. I think he was named after Good Omens, though. Um, I don't know. I think Crowley is one of those ones where, like, I'd heard of him before I read Good Omens. I just, mm. it was just one of those things that kind of floats around in the yeah. zeitgeist or whatever. He appears in Sandman as well, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. So he, he's very big in, I think, in all occultist circles, particularly in Britain. Um, I used to work in an antiquarian bookshop and we actually had some first editions of his writings. Huh. Um yeah, I mean, Crowley, again, a little bit dodgy. Oh, great. There's the whole sex magic stuff. What? Yeah. <laughs> no, you can't just bring up sex magic. I mean, I don't really want to go into it particularly, but suffice it to say, Crowley had ideas that were very much in line with sort of modern satanic movements, but with proper occultism thrown in. Okay. So it's stuff like about, like, removing inhibitions and, like, defying tyranny in all forms and obviously like sexual oppression in some very direct ways which great yeah but why don't why do people always have to do this like it's always very much like oh i'm i'm a cult leader now and you have to lower your inhibitions and that Mm. means i get to have sex with as many young women as i like yep that's pretty much how it works Great. Okay, let's ignore that part. Let's brush over that and let's yeah. be like, okay, Crowley, interesting, occultist. I mean, particularly, we're talking here particularly about um, his son, Amado, who claimed that he had personally witnessed the ritual that Alistair Crowley did when he was a boy. Nice. Uh, he claimed that Crowley, along with some Canadian soldiers who were dressed either in wizard robes... Yes. Or animal hides. Okay. And using a dummy of Hitler, practiced practiced their magic to also prevent Hitler from reaching Britain in a ritual performed in the Ashdown Forest in 1941. Amazing. Okay. Now, you know the Ashdown Forest, of course. I do know the Ashdown Forest. I originate from the Ashdown Forest. Yes, you do. But what else about the Ashdown Forest? (laughs) It's also where Winnie the Pooh is (laughs) The Hundred Acre Woods is a small area in the Ashdown Forest. I would love if there was a Winnie the Pooh story where they just came across a bunch of Canadian soldiers, either in wizard robes or dressed up as buffalo or something, dancing around. Fantastic, man. I mean, it would be a bit worrying, though, because they've made a dummy of Hitler and, like... Apparently toys are kind of alive in the Ashdown Forest, so... Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, no. It's like Toy Story's gone incredibly wrong. Watch out, oh, the Ashdown Forest. There is toy Hitler wandering oh, around. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> Wait, no. Oh, bother. <laughs> oh, bother. <laughs> oh, no. 
impression of Hitler. No. <laughs> right, so what we've got here, though, is a bit of a problem, right? Because we've still just got one person's story, so mm-hmm. it's one person's word against another's. Yeah. And they're both a little bit unreliable. I mean, Gardner's obviously bigging himself up. Amado Crowley's bigging up his dad. Yeah, which I'd imagine you want to if your dad's that much of a creep. Well, yeah, but also, you know, just that famous. And I'm mm. sure there's money to be made Royalties? from... Yeah, from being the son of Alastair Crowley. What's his first name again? Well, the son? Yeah. Amado. Amado. Yeah. You'd want to make as much money off your dad as possible. I mean, yeah. My apologies to all the Armados out there. Amado. Amado. Not Armado. I'm sorry. That's at least, like, is a name. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. We've got two possibilities here. Mm -hmm. Well, the third possibility is that neither of them happened. So we've got three possibilities. (laughs) But... We do have some more evidence on the side of the Crowley story. Go on. Cecil Williamson, uh, which is a great name. That's such a World War II name. Yeah. He was a former MI6 agent. Yes. And admittedly founder of a witchcraft museum in Cornwall. (laughs) Okay. Possibly not completely unbiased then. He and a historian and author, Robert Spence, both claim the Crowley story is the true one. Okay. How do they know? Well... It's because it wasn't just magic at play here. It was psychology. Okay. Hitler, as well as some prominent Nazis, were big into occultism. Yeah. I mean, you just need to look at the historical documentary, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. But there's some speculation that there were Nazis who were members of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Right. Who were a primarily British occultist group who spawned from... The Rosicrucians. Okay. My god, there are too many of these secret orders. I know, yeah. Also, can you be a member of more than one, or are there loads and loads of these secret order people just, like, jamming about in the countryside? I think you can be members of more than one. I think. I don't know. I'm not not part of them. God, how am I supposed to know? (laughs) I've been to Cozy Club once. That's about as close as I get to being a member of one of these societies. Anyway... So, yeah, so a bunch of these Nazis, Hitler included, mm-hmm. were into their occultism and possibly were members of this group, okay. which was primarily British. So, information was leaked to the Germans after the war started and, like, ties were severed, that the group had not disbanded, as originally believed, but had gone underground in mm-hmm. order to work magic against the Nazis. Okay, okay, so these guys, like, had a bunch of German friends Mm -hmm. who became Nazis, and then they actually break off contact with them, but then they go, oh, actually, we're sneakily still here, and we're working against you. (laughs) Exactly. And of course, now you've got people who are super into this occultism and magic and everything like that going, oh no, all our old friends are using their mystical powers against us. And Hitler's like, oh shit, let's go and send a bunch of people to the North Pole <laughs> see if we can find the hollow earth in the garden. Um, Man, the 1940s were wild. Yeah. Well, one of the figures that was heavily involved in this operation was an individual whose name you might recognise. It was Ian Fleming, the writer hey! of Bond. He was interested in astrology and the occult and may have, through bribes and treachery, created falsified, for want of a better word, astrological charts to be released to Nazi occultists 
in order to discourage them and lower morale. Okay. They can basically open it up and be like, oh, this week in Gemini, invading Britain will lead to terrible bad luck. <laughs> Your lucky number is none. You have no luck. <laughs> You may be experiencing a bit of a lull in your social life. (laughs) (laughs) Don't invade Britain. (laughs) I was going to be much darker, so let's go with your version. Yay! Uh, So he was, Ian Fleming was working with the British Secret Service at the time. Yeah. And they put together this elaborate ritual with the help of Ian Fleming's friend, Alistair Crowley. In order to perform this ritual and then purposefully leak the details of it to the German side. Since the seeds had already been planted that the British were using magic with the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, Mm -hmm. and uh, these were people that the Nazis knew and trusted as occultists and members of the same mystic circle... It's possible that this ritual may have been given some credence, and you know, it's just this really big psychological warfare plan. I mean... I can see that working. Yeah. Like, we know that some leaders, like, some world leaders over the years have been super, super, like, really superstitious. Mm. And we know that Hitler was, yeah. like, really into all of this stuff. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, I guess I guess I could see that working. But we also have physical evidence of this as well. Okay. Because Richard Spence, the author and historian I mentioned earlier, yeah. he found documents which led him to sort of believe that this is what was happening. And it even has a name, like in proper documentation, it's called Operation Mistletoe, which is much better than Operation <laughs> Cone of Power. Like, it is. If you want your operation name to sound like cool, but also not immediately give away what the fuck you're actually doing, Operation Mistletoe is much better than Operation Cone of Power. I like it. It's like... Um... The question is, are they doing mistletoe in a druidic sense or in a uh, Nordic sense? I don't know. I'm not sure about... I, I've got a vague idea about mistletoe in druidic stuff. I know more about it with Nordic. So obviously yeah. it's the plant that kills Balder and leads to Ragnarok. So as far as I'm aware, the druids used to cut down mistletoe with golden sickles mm-hmm. and then you'd put it over the door of your house... Um, which is how come we now put it over... Right, yeah, yeah. I knew about the golden sickle bit. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that, yeah. Uh, so you put it over the door of your house and it protects you against thunder. Ah. Oh my gosh, so it would protect you against Blitzkrieg. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, that could work. Mm. So I'm going to trust Richard Spence here because he is a historian who specialises in military history. Yeah. And he's done a lot of books on these sorts of subjects. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here and basically go... Gerald Gardner, no. get out, get out. You are making shit up <laughs> in order to sell your weird sex cult. Uh, apologies to all Wiccans who, you know, actually practice their religion and everything like that. I'm yeah, sure we you're like, fine. We like modern Wiccans. Yeah. We don't like this one guy. <laughs> yeah. So whatever the case, there were a lot of people involved in this. It looks like this sort of thing happened. And you know what? Even, even Ian Fleming's involvement... We can kind of, we do know that Ian Fleming had an interest in the occult. Yeah. After all, his most famous character, James Bond, mm-hmm. is codenamed 007. Yeah. The same codename given to John Dee, <gasps> the occultist, astrologer, <laughs> mathematician, and spy master for Queen Elizabeth I. Yes. 
So yeah, it seems that magic and espionage are actually much closer linked than you might have thought before, and Winnie the Pooh may have been ambushed by a bunch of Canadian soldiers dressed in wizard robes or or animal hides uh, while carrying a living dummy of Hitler. (laughs) If anyone out there would like to do art of that scene, (laughs) I would very much like to see it. You can send it to us on Twitter at that time when four or at our Gmail account, uh, ttwpod at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening. That's where we're going to end our story with a little bit of mysticism and a lot of Winnie the Pooh. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. Um, if you could give us a review on iTunes mm-hmm. or subscribe to listen to us every week on Spotify, mm-hmm. that would be great. Or SoundCloud as well. You can follow us directly on our RSS feed. Ooh. I know. Aren't we fancy? As always, thanks to Kevin McLeod for the music. Thank you very much. And thank you once again to you for listening. And we will see you next week for more That Time When.